a quick-drawing scoundrel joins two local gangs and pits them against one another. Who is he really? The Toho gang puffs out their cheeks and enters the double-crossing world of Yakuza with special guest David Carter in episode 63, Youth of the Beast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Toho Yaro. I'm your host this episode, uh, Joey Weiser, and with me are my usual co-hosts, V. Hey, V. Hey, Joey. And Alex. Hey, Alex. Hey, Joey. Hey. So this episode, we'll be covering Youth of the Beast from 1963. And uh, we are actually joined by a guest uh, this episode, David Carter. Hey, David. Hey, everybody. How's it going? It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Um, So David actually picked this movie. Um, David and I know each other through a mutual friend, uh, David Yoder, cartoonist. And um, through knowing David, I knew that he was a uh, Seijun Suzuki fan, um, the director of this movie. So I thought it would be cool to uh, cover a movie with him, but I kind of left it up to him to choose this. So David, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do um, and also um, briefly, like, why you picked this movie in particular? Uh, yeah, I am the co-host and producer of the A Place for Film podcast, the official IU Cinema podcast for Indiana University. Um, I'm one of the founding members slash current regular contributors to the blog over there. Um, I helped start a uh, pop-up cinema in Bloomington, Indiana called Cicada Cinema, where we just pop up and show movies in different places around town uh, that kind of fit a theme. Um, And I'm just an all-around big dork uh, who just just really likes uh, movies, uh, you know, especially Japanese movies. Um, And yeah, I'm just kind of a man about town. I just really like uh, showing people things off the beaten path if it's possible cool and yeah, yeah. us too <laughs> <laughs> and uh i picked this movie because well as you pointed out yes i am a big uh seijun suzuki fan ever since i saw branded to kill mm. back i don't know like i guess it's been like 10 years maybe even 12 years at this point uh since i first watched that movie uh i watched it because i was a big fan of the movie ghost dog Mm. Uh, by Jim mm. Jarmusch and uh, they I had remember like reading essays in the uh, early days of the internet about like like what he's referencing in that movie and at some point they talk about the uh, kill with the gun through the pipe uh, you know oh, right. uh, they were like that's a direct lift from Branded to Kill and I was like well I don't know what Branded to Kill is so I remember <laughs> going to the 50% off Criterion sale at Barnes and Noble and just picking picking it up taking on a whim and then i have been a huge fan uh ever since uh ever since i watched that and also a big joe shishido fan since oh, that very nice. day and i picked this movie because i would say that if we're talking about prime era seijun suzuki mm-hmm. we're talking about i guess there's like three eras for me for seijun suzuki there is his like workman's journeyman's era where he's just cranking out like two or three films a year for Nikatsu yeah, with right. all, with all very similar plots and, you know, not a lot of diversity, not no really like emerging, uh, elements of his style yet. And then there is this like golden period, uh, which for me includes like branded to kill and Tokyo drifter and youth of the beasts and, uh, uh, um, Oh God! Cry, cry of a pro, cry of the prostitute. Mm-hmm. Um, we like that's the right name. Anyway, um, and then there's his late period, which I've never actually haven't gotten around to his trilogy, uh, his Taisho trilogy of movies. But uh, this is to me what where people kind of are about. And I feel like of those three uh, of the like golden era movies, uh, I feel like this is the least talked about. Like I think Tokyo Drifter and Brandon to Kill get a lot of play, but this one doesn't uh, usually come up in conversation nearly as much. 
Yeah, I was pleased because I we had covered Tokyo Drifter previously, so that was off the table. And I had already seen Branded to Kill, and I kind of was partially guessing that that was going to be what you would suggest. Uh, so I was pretty happy that you did choose Youth of the Beast because I haven't seen this one yet um, and have been curious to explore more of that. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen two of the three Taisho trilogy movies, um, and they're really cool. And I've seen just kind of a little sprinkling of those other two earlier periods. Um, but I haven't done like a full Seijun Suzuki deep dive. That's the director of this film. If, uh, if I didn't say that, uh, beforehand, um, uh, V, did you have any experience, uh, with this movie in particular? No, this one was kind of not on my radar for Seijun Suzuki stuff that, uh, I was on the lookout for, uh, I did not realize when I first saw the title that it was him, but mm-hmm. I mean, once, um, it's it's unmistakably him. Like obviously, I knew before we started. I started watching, uh, but yeah, it is it is unmistakably Seijun Suzuki in the best ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, Alex? Yeah, uh, no experience with this prior to this, but um, a few months ago when we covered Getting Any, uh, there's a humongous Joe Shishido uh, parody within it, and after we watched that, I think I was like, oh man, we should check this guy out, uh, and. I think that's when we started having a conversation about having David on. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I'd been meaning to, do, like, that's just been something that's been in the back of my mind, specifically that we haven't done a Joe Shishido film, uh, and I like that actor a lot. Uh, we'll talk about him in a second, but, like, but, yeah, he's, there's a huge section of getting any that's, like, all about him or that, that kind of references him pretty heavily yeah it's like uh, 20 minutes like it's like a big <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a humongous parody and uh I, and you know i remember when we watched tokyo drifter i wasn't like super huge on it but mm-hmm. i the one thing i did love about it is suzuki's like really colorful and weird uh shooting style like yeah. his movies are very you can definitely tell that they're uh that they're uh done by him and mm-hmm. um uh, I really did want to kind of uh, dig a little bit deeper in that well. And uh, I'm really glad we did because I really liked this movie. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, not to speak for anyone, but I feel like of the three of us, V seemed to respond to Tokyo Drifter the best. I, I was very frustrated with it because I was hosting that episode too. And that was before, thank God, goodness, we like have switched to a more tighter kind of summarizing section of the podcast (laughs) because like I was really frustrated with Tokyo Drifter last time because I had to watch it twice to get all the kind of twists and turns and stuff which I think I probably would have had a similar experience with this one Um, because the the plot you know we'll get into it it gets pretty convoluted Um, yes but uh, but it's kind of not about that as much as it is the sort of direction and performances um but yeah, so this is directed by Seijun Suzuki, and uh, as we've mentioned, we've uh, previously covered him a little bit in the Tokyo Drifter episode, so I don't want to totally retread that. Um, I'm glad that David kind of went over those three periods, because I did want to mention that like he's kind of has this sort of notorious um, story about, about uh, after Branded to Kill um, getting banned, well, getting sort of fired and then fighting back against the studio, which ended up giving him, uh, getting him sort of blacklisted in the Japanese studio system for years until he came back in the eighties, uh, with that Taisho trilogy. So, um, I think it's really cool that he, um, you know, was trying to express some artistic, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff w- within the the sort of super rigid um, Nikatsu formula. Um, and as for the actors, uh, yeah, Joshi Shido is the star of this as uh, Joji Joe Mizuno. I love that uh, his character's name is Joe, too, because we could just get that. Over. <laughs> yes. And one of my favorite can... tropes in a movie is when the actor just has their same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it just makes it a lot easier that way. <laughs> um, and and I think that's kind of a thing about him is that he was such a sort of notable personality that um that he is kind of banking on like you want to see Joe in this movie. And so here he is. But um, um, yeah, I think this is notable that we finally are covering him. He, he's very 
um, well known for uh, getting cheek implants um, after he'd been frustrated with getting a sort of stale acting career of these sort of background characters or generic leading men characters. And so he does have this very uh, bizarre look of this, you know, cheap chipmunk cheek, uh, puffy cheeks, but um, it worked. And he ended up getting uh, a lot more work after that and ended up becoming one of Nikatsu Studios diamond guys, this sort of like roster of leading men starring in their borderless action films, these sort of like um, Western, these American and European influenced uh, action films. And uh, he was nicknamed Joe the Ace uh, for his quick draw skills. And um, yeah, he's known for working. I think he's known primarily in the U.S., especially and internationally for being a collaborator with Suzuki. He's done a lot of movies with him, like Branded to Kill and uh, Gate of Flesh and stuff. Um, some other notable movies of his that I see come up from time to time is uh, A Cult is My Passport, uh, Massacre Gun, Retaliation. He's in a few of the Battles Without Honor and Humanity films, which are kind of a slight about a decade later. And so he's a little bit older in those. Um, but yeah, he, he's he's quite a presence. Massacre yeah. Gun is such a good title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Massacre Gun. Um, you, you know, Great I've movie. Seen, yeah, I've seen. I've, <laughs> this is a while. I, I've seen either Masker Gun or Retaliation. I can never remember which one. Which one. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but uh, the one I saw was good. Uh, uh, Masker Gun <laughs> is the one about the three brothers. That's the way I differentiate it in my brain. Okay. It's about and three I've different, seen... like an old and middle and a young brother. <laughs> Retaliation have the big fist fight by the train tracks. Yes. Oh, that's what I kind of remember. Yes, I think okay. so. Yes. So retaliation is what I've seen. And, and I've got on deck, like in my queue of movies to watch, I've been meaning to watch a cult as my passport. Cause I love that title. Uh, yeah, it's thought. a, it's a solid title. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a- anyway, uh, moving on a bit to the other, uh, cast members, uh, Misako Watanabe plays Kumiko T- uh, Takeshita, the, the wife of Joe's, uh, deceased friend in this. And, uh, we've actually seen her before in Kaidan. Um, but I don't, particularly that's been a while uh since so i didn't really remember uh that role but she was also in the great passage which was a film from 2013 that recently screened internationally via the japan film festival uh which i just saw um last week and uh, thought it was pretty cool um it's a movie about making a dictionary (laughs) very (laughs) thrilling (laughs) um Akiji Kobayashi uh, plays Tatsu Nomoto, the boss of the Nomoto gang. And we've kind of hit a string of movies with this guy um, with uh, speaking of getting any. And he was also in the Uh Inugami family. He's the uh, guy known for his iconic roles in Ultraman and Kamen Rider. Um, And here we get to see him kissing a cat, which is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. You can tell it. You can. You know how evil he is when he's like, like licking the cat. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, he really goes He's all going in. for it. <laughs> like, if if I can just have a quick sidebar, I'm a I'm not necessarily a dog person. I like dogs fine, but it always grosses me out when I see people like make out with their dogs. Hmm. Uh, no, and, no, and now no we offense. finally got to see this the, the other way around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, equal opportunity. You just <laughs> he just wants to see they want to see both sides. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, I had to wonder if he'd like sprinkled a little like fish flakes on his lips or something because, yeah, <laughs> the cat was reciprocating. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, he's great. Uh, I love that guy. Uh, Tamio Kawachi plays uh, Hideo Nomoto, uh, the boss's brother in this. We uh, had seen him in Tokyo Drifter as Tatsuzo the Viper. Um, he's also in a bunch of other Yakuza movies like Outlaw, Gangster VIP, Battles with Honor and Humanity. Uh, he's in Bullet Train, which is a huge cast and, and, and lots of stuff. Uh, that guy's good, too. Um, and Amy Asumi plays Goro Minami, the, the sort of hapless lackey guy. Um, and he's in a lot of the same Nikatsu action stuff that a lot of these guys are in. Uh, he's in Tokyo Drifter and A Taxing Woman. Uh, so he's shown up in a few of our picks. Um, and it looks like he's done a lot of voice acting work as well. Uh, he's in some Kochikami, uh, anime and, um, he's, uh, I thought this was interesting. He's Paikal, the magician in the original loop on the third series. Uh, it's a pretty oh. iconic character. That's getting a re-release, I think. 
a movie, yeah, where that character comes back is getting uh, a re-release. He was in the the actual TV show. I don't know. Maybe he did the voice in that movie too. Uh, but yeah, Discotech just uh, announced that they're doing. I think it's called the Return of Mike of Pycal or something like that. Um, and I had oh, and he's in the Vision of Escaflone as as a few different characters, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, and lastly, uh, uh, Kinzo Shin plays the rival boss, uh, Shinsuke Onodera. And, uh, this guy has a big filmography. Um, again, he's in a lot of Nikatsu action movies like, um, Kanto Wonder, um, in another Joshishido, uh, Seijun Suzuki movie that I haven't <laughs> mentioned. That's <laughs> got a great title, Detective Bureau 2-3, go to hell bastards. <laughs> the explanation point after it. Great. Um, yeah, I, is that Suzuki? I don't remember. It's a Joshishido it movie. Okay, yeah. It is one of yes. Yeah, and that's that's kind of in that earlier period, uh, mm-hmm. the sort of voice without a shadow and, and all that stuff. Um, let's see. And, oh, and a little bit later in this guy's career, he's in a really interesting movie called The Man Without a Map, uh, which is a Shintaro Katsu crime movie that has Kiyoshi Yatsumi in it, actually. Um, that's a cool movie. Um, but yeah, so let's, uh, I'm going to just pretty briefly, um, summarize the plot. Um, once you kind of cut out all the little, uh, minutia of it, it goes by pretty quick, I think. And then we can dig into what we thought about it. Um, so this is about the mysterious Joji Joe Mizinu who, uh, infiltrates two gangs and pits them against each other. And we eventually discover that he is a former cop and is orchestrating all this to find and get revenge on the killer of his friend whose death was framed as a double suicide with uh, a woman that he was supposedly having an affair with. And uh, this all leads uh, to a big gang fight on the beach and a cool scene of Joe uh, hanging from a ceiling in a bombed out mansion. <laughs> and um, we eventually learn that the Nomoto gang leader's secret mistress that was kind of a, a thread that you follow throughout this movie was actually uh, Joe's friend's wife. And uh, she has been pulling the strings the entire time, uh, even going as far as to killing her own husband. And so Joe gets his revenge, uh, setting her to up to be attacked by Nomoto's unstable brother in a sort of grisly conclusion. And uh, and and that's basically the movie in a nutshell. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff uh, going on. Um, so, David, uh, revisiting this, uh, wh- what were, what did you think this time around? Yeah, so I actually watched this twice this time around because, nice. uh, as you pointed out much earlier in this podcast, the thing about this period of Seijun Suzuki films is that the plots truly don't matter because they're so <laughs> obfuscated. <laughs> like, truly, I think the very first time I watched this, I just kind of was like, well, that movie ruled, but unfortunately, I could not make it. I, I didn't even understand the twist at the end of the movie the first time mm. I watched it. Like, I didn't realize <laughs> that's what was happening, is that his wife was the killer all along. Um, but this time, watching it, I'm just even more... This isn't quite as um, uh, transgressive as uh, Tokyo Drifter is, uh, mm-hmm. but the f- fact that it's like such a like probably cheaply and quickly made crime film is very impressive to me just like how much the film will take the time to actually like find interesting looking places and colors to take the time to like frame shots mm-hmm. uh yeah that are like striking really well, and well composed yeah yeah exactly yeah uh and uh i am just i'm already like i'm so in the bag for joe shishido like i'm such a big fan of him i was, so, I was heartbroken when he passed away this year um mm-hmm. uh that this watching this it also made me realize just how versatile he is as an actor because this is kind of a a thankless role like the like double agent or triple agent i guess in this uh, movie Mm -hmm. very like infernal affairs departed type deal uh (laughs) where he has to play tortured but in like two or three different ways and i don't know it's just it's just very i i enjoy the like in a movie that's so kind of like um Gonzo, I enjoy like a little. I enjoy the like subtleties of a performance like that, where he's he's shifting things slightly depending yeah, on I who he's interacting with. His performance was interesting because, like, in general, I tend to prefer Joshishido when he's a little kind of like more cocky and energetic uh, than sort of super brooding. Like in Branded to Kill, he's just like 
you know, miserable and brooding. And, and yes. that kind of drags me down a bit on that movie. Um, uh, it's an awesome movie otherwise, but like, I kind of like these other lighter roles where he's being a little goofier and kind of more, you know, cocky and stuff. But like this one, I felt like had a kind of interesting balance where he was that guy, but he was also kind of the brooding guy. Uh, yeah. thought that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, obviously Quentin Tarantino, a big fan of Japanese mm-hmm. movies, definitely saw this movie at some point, or at least seen Joe Shishido movies. Um, it is, it is interesting that it's a, a lot like, uh, Reservoir Dogs with the Tim Roth uh, sequence in that where it's a cop having to act to, mm. uh, you know, infiltrate this like den of thieves or whatever. It's interesting to watch him lay it on so thick at the beginning of the movie by just being like, <laughs> I'm a bad guy. And then he just starts beating the crap out of somebody in the street yeah. and just like, you know, pours an ice, a bucket full of ice down some woman's dress <laughs> like he's in middle school. It's great. I, yeah. I, I, I enjoy the the way those that swings. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, Alex, what did you think about this one? Yeah, I liked it a lot, actually. Uh, like you say, I it took a while for me to un, to figure the plot out. But once, you know, you, I had an inkling that he might have been a cop at some point. Uh, mm-hmm. But for me, the fun of this movie was imagining it as uh, like if they made, you know, the Yakuza video games, if they made one that took place in the 1960s. <laughs> like, because the God, the first like 20 to 30 minutes, like, you know, he's just sort of strong arming his way into a gang and then into another gang and just sort of reaping the benefits from both. And it seems such a, like a video game thing. Like this oh, is yeah. like this. his, his little missions sort of. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what I kind of got from it. And, um, I, I would love a video game adaptation of the adventures of, uh, uh, Joe Mizuno. Like it's, it, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, um, uh, I, th- I think to me, it was easier to follow than, um, than Tokyo Drifter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I thought that it was comparatively, <laughs> it was fa- kind of a simple plot, uh, yeah. but I liked it. Um, I just, because of Suzuki's weird cuts, I had a lot of trouble sometimes discerning, um, okay, well, when is this happening? Or mm-hmm. like, well, like, I don't know. It seemed, it seemed to me at one point, Joe was getting, uh, you know, uh, tortured, but then, then it cuts to that weird dust scene where, uh, 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 the other boss, not, not Nomoto, but the other one, um, mm-hmm. after they drive the car into the building. That's- yeah. No, 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 no. Way before no. that. Oh, way before uh, that. I don't know. There, there seemed to be some abrupt cuts that kind of didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but. Uh, one thing that really made an impression on me was the music. Uh, I thought yeah. the music was really, yeah. really dynamic and really added a punch to the movie that, uh, that, that made it really like exciting to watch. This great, like jazz soundtrack that really kind of moves you. Yeah. I mean, these Nikatsu studio movies in the sixties, like that's their strongest suit in my opinion is that they get all these composers to essentially come in and just do this like 60s era like american influenced mm-hmm. jazz as the soundtrack like very henry mancini or like cannonball adderley-esque um, i think it's hajima uh hajime akumura did the music for this um mm-hmm. uh and yeah that's top notch as a, i'm i'm a jazz musician so i i very keyed into like when the people making this music like knows their stuff. And this is a soundtrack that kind of like just can stand on its own. This is something I would just listen to by itself. Yeah. And it's like always kind of running through it. So like, even in the sort of like I, the part I had the most trouble with was kind of the middle part where things are really topsy turvy as far as like what he's doing with which gang and all that stuff. But like, I feel like the music especially like kind of helps push you through that and keeps things kind of feeling like they're moving. Uh, yeah. Even if I was, feeling it kind of sag a little bit uh narrative wise yeah um, uh, but yeah i thought that the the music very very much uh helps in that regard um so yeah i i really liked it and uh i uh i want to watch more shishido joe stuff because he's uh he plays it very like i don't know it can't be mm-hmm. you know like yeah 
it, it's I, I appreciate it not being taken too seriously, especially when there are scenes of um, like the, the one in particular where they <laughs> they're driving along the other side, the, the, alongside the other car and they throw what appeared to be dynamite in the other car. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, at first, I thought it was actual dynamite and I like popped. I was like, what? Like, uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I would have jumped out of the car too. I thought that was a very funny, uh, I, I mean, not to get to our favorite scenes yet, but I thought that that was a very funny scene. And it sort of, for me, that's sort of the tone of the movie where it like, yeah, it gets pretty serious cause it's a Yakuza flick, but, um, it's also pretty campy and that's what I really like about it. Yeah. You know, a lot is made about Joe Shishido's cheeks and the fact that he like, made himself have this sort of bizarre appearance and that it like changed his career and all this stuff. But then everybody is always quick to sort of point it out and point out that he's kind of like strange looking, but like the thing that's really impressive to that, to me about that is that it is actually his like charisma that really carries it. Like, I feel like there's another story in which someone gets, uh, you know, reconstructive surgery of some sort, or constructive surgery and then like still doesn't make it, you know, <laughs> but yeah. like he is such a like charismatic, uh, guy that, um, even when he's being like a jerk and stuff, he's very compelling to watch. Um, even in, yeah, that sort of like first part where he's like being a kind of schoolyard bully, uh, with a gun, you know, um, he still like kind of can't help, but like be like, I want to see what this guy's doing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's also such a hail Mary, to back in the day to do something that extreme to stand out above the pack. Like he talked about in interviews about how he felt like he was just this blandly handsome person, like one of a million. And like, you know, by doing this, like he just kind of figured that at the very least people would cast him in like, you know, in like niche roles at the very mm-hmm. least, like mm-hmm. he'd actually, you know, he'd be able to get to work. But I think the thing he he probably underestimated about himself is that like he is this like very versatile, like very charming person. Like I, I, I don't know. There's this movie Danger Pays, which is maybe one uh, you should check out. Yeah, uh, I love that, that movie. Uh, <laughs> he is, yeah, he is just the coolest person in the room whenever he is in the room. Like, I completely agree with you, Joey, that like he's better when he's playing charming than when he's playing brooding. Uh, mm-hmm. I Yeah, he's. He's like a gem, like even in uh, the battles without honors uh, in humanity, when he shows up in those later films, like they, you know, those get kind of in the weeds with their own plots at points. Mm -hmm. But like when he shows up, like the you can feel like the energy in the room is like sucked towards like is sucked towards him, like at that point, because he's like a seasoned veteran actor. And so like he's essentially like kind of acting circles around some of the people in that that movie. Yeah. Like it it helps that that character is like. I don't remember the details exactly, but he's older than everybody. So he is a sort of like higher up guy that they all, you know, bow down to or whatever. And so he just sort of commands the scene in that way, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. His um, performance actually really reminds me a lot of Toshiro Mifune, even though he's obviously in less prestigious stuff. Mm. But his ability just to swap between modes of this like bravado and swagger and any time that like something goes wrong or he's got to like think on his feet to to keep his charade going you get these like close-up looks at his eyes and it goes from like that yeah i'm a badass and beating people up to kind of this like somewhat panicked almost like animal look uh mm-hmm. in his eyes of just like processing what to do next and the the subtlety between those to to go between those uh in that way is very impressive yeah, so V, uh, what are your overall thoughts? Um, I I really enjoyed this. Uh, I, I like it better than Tokyo Drifter. It it still has some incoherence, but it doesn't feel like we're missing twenty minute chunks out of parts of the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's a like maybe like a line here and there could have uh, strung it together a little better. But as, as we've all said, it's it's less about that. Even though I think the the presentation of the the plot is not the best. I think the skeleton of it uh, would work fine with like a tighter script. But uh, yeah, the mm-hmm. performances across the board in this are great. Uh, I uh, going back to the music. 
Um, when the, the film first opens, it's in black and white. And I was like, well, I thought this was in color, but okay. Yeah. Um, and then we get the, the, the interesting like flowers shot where the flowers are in color and everything else is in black and white. But following that, we get a full on color scene and that jazz music starts blasting and just like the music and the color palette and the outfits, uh, when all of that shows up, it's just like showing up to a party like it that that's when i was like ah yes this is this is a seijun suzuki movie yeah um <laughs> just that vibe from everything and i was hooked from right then awesome yeah i mean one thing that this doesn't have uh that um tokyo drifter has is joe doesn't sing his own theme song so <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> so uh i i watched some of the uh, supplement stuff that's on the criterion uh, channel mm-hmm. in regards to this movie and uh suzuki said that uh uh in, in regards to the weird the weird set that first set namoto's um hideaway uh you know that he remarked that generally all yakuza hideouts look the same but that one has that cool one-way window mm-hmm. yeah and um he said that uh you know, we didn't have to spend so much time making it look like a cabaret because, you know, Joe didn't have to sing his own theme song. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's the thing that I thought um, was really cool about this is like um, speaking of that room, um, like I think the most kind of obvious, interesting experimental thing that um, Suzuki does is that sort of bookending effect where it's black and white with like spot colors. Um, but then throughout the film, there's like these little sprinklings of like interesting stuff to look at. Like, I really love that room. Um, and I also really love the other guy, the other boss's like office that's like in a theater and you always have like a movie running in the background. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. I would try to look up what movie that is in the background and I could not find anything about it, man. I wanted to know too. And <laughs> yeah, it's like at one point there's like a boat chase going on and it's like, it's stuff that never com- like fully pulls you away from the scene uh, of what's happening but like it's enough like kind of weird quirky action uh i know at one point there's like a trailer because there's a bunch of text being like (laughs) shot up on the screen (laughs) and stuff um and i think that that's just like a really interesting way to like add a little more visual flair to what's a sort of like basic gangster shakedown type thing um that you would see in uh you know a dozen other movies that year um so yeah I mean, that's pretty indicative of Suzuki as a director. I mean, I, I always, you know, obviously books have been written about him, but as someone who just watches the movies and occasionally will delve into the criticism about um, around him, uh, it seems as if he is a man who uh, was put through a meat grinder <laughs> that mm-hmm. Nikatsu was, like I said, like, you know, I think Arrow released, like, you know, not think I have them, but like the the... Seijun Suzuki, like early Suzuki volumes one and two. And like, I have like delved into it and it really is like a lot of him being made to just make the same three plots over and over and over again. So Mm -hmm. like I can very much see like him being a veteran director at a studio. That's essentially like you need to make three movies this year to just say, okay, fine. I've been here for, you know, 10 years at this point. Let me just stretch out and try some things that are like appealing to me in some way. And so that's why I chose this movie partially because I, I know you guys aren't big on Tokyo Drifter because that's the polar, the other end of the spectrum as far as like him experimenting with things. Uh, this feels more of him like threading that needle between like art and commerce and being like, here's a boilerplate plot about, you know, a man playing both sides. But, you know, look at uh, this crazy car rally battle where (laughs) at the end of the movie uh you know we're gonna hang joe upside down uh from a chandelier and have him fight someone that way we're gonna be in a cabaret and it's gonna like lavishly transition you know from the conversation these characters were having to someone performing a burlesque dance with the lights coming down and the spotlight uh yeah it's it's it, it it does seem like he 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 a, he's been aching to stretch out a little bit with this movie. Yeah, yeah, I love that scene of him hanging from his feet uh, from the ceiling and just like swinging to try to get 
uh, that table uh, under him so that he could get grab the gun, I think it was. And, mm-hmm. Yes. And, and then there's this very, very quick kind of like shoot out between him and somebody else who gets up in that room and stuff. And uh, it's it's just so cool. Um, yeah, they definitely spawned. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, Yeah. um, I'm just trying to think if I had anything else that I specifically want to mention uh, just in my overall thoughts about the movie. Um, Yeah. No, I I think that's basically it. Um, I, 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 yeah, I I don't want to come down too hard on Tokyo Drifter because I did. There's a lot of stuff in that movie that I really, really like. Um, I just wasn't, I was just incredible. Like it was like the epitome of being mixed on a movie. I was just like, Mm -hmm. not sure what to make of it. Um, and I would kind of like to come back to it again, uh, now that I kind of have different expectations of it. Maybe, um, maybe at some point we should do episodes where we revisit some of our earlier episodes just because we've changed the (laughs) format. It's interesting. Tokyo Drifter has really grown in my, like it's esteem has grown in my mind. I think just because I remember how, like how much stuff looked cool yeah and like i remember the good parts it's gorgeous (laughs) it really is kind of like a a pop fever dream like i think it's like you know people call like movies equivalents to dreams i'm like well that is kind of what a dream feels like while you're having it yeah you're like wait where am i who is (laughs) this guy i mean truly like i mean you you, i mean none of you are wrong that movie is almost nearly incoherent I, I I couldn't. As of now, I've seen that movie five times. I can't recount the plot to you. No. <laughs> There's a Tokyo Drifter. That's about all I know. Yeah. Shooting star Kenji, my man. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. I, um, I I I like Suzuki's like um, kind of like style, but I don't think that he's super good, or maybe just not that concerned with like communicating things very clearly. So I think that that was a problem within this movie too, excuse me, um, was that, you know, I just, sometimes I was getting pretty mixed up about like which gang he was currently working, Mm -hmm. uh, with in a scene, um, and stuff like that. But, um, but I think when it comes down to it, it it will probably have that same effect where, uh, when I think about this a year later, I'll be like, yeah, that movie with the awesome soundtrack and that cool, uh, one way mirror and you know I'll just like only think of the cool stuff um, so uh, one of those interviews on on the Criterion channel uh, uh, Joe Shishido ta- he talks about that mirror and uh, when he thinks about the movie he thinks about two things he thinks about that one way mirror scene um, uh, the one where he gets pressed up against it and then they use the knife to torture his finger um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said that that was, uh, you know, especially memorable, but especially memorable, but the, uh, the other scene in particular that, uh, that really, or the, just not just the scene, but just the person that stuck out is the guy who plays a hideo, the razor blade. Um, he talked mm-hmm. about that guy being such a really good actor and, uh, and a really cool and interesting character. Uh, and those are the two things that really stuck out to to uh, Shishido when he was making this movie. Yeah, and that guy I remembered um, <clears throat> loving in uh, Tokyo Drifter as well, um, uh, Tamio Kawachi. He he passed away I think a year or two ago. Um, huh. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he he's really great. He's also you know his device in the movie. I mean, he sticks out in the movie just because he is like a a very like striking actor. Uh, he also is sticks out to me is also one of the few coherent pieces of like setup and payoff in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> true. It's like he like it truly like you remember that as it's ha- as you know, Joe at the end of the movie is like saying like, like what did his mother do again? Like you remember mm-hmm. that like, Oh, I know what's about to happen. <laughs> and it's like one of the few times in the movie where you're like watching it. Like I'm on this movie's wavelength and <laughs> the movie's about to end at that point. So that right there, that is, that is a total Sean Connery, James Bond move. Like that is a move that you would see in a Sean Connery, James Bond movie where like, he knows what's going to happen. If you do this, it's like throwing out a tiger bait. Like it's, Even it's such a, the timing of it. Yeah. Where he yeah, like leaves the room like, and she laughs and he pops back in to be like, oh, by the way, <laughs> that, that feels very much like a Sean Connery Bond thing. Yeah. And it like kind of keeps our hero's hands clean, but like they're not that clean. <laughs> so so uh, according to Suzuki, there was a whole lot of nudity that was cut out of the movie hmm. um, as well as uh, 
um, he wanted to have the, uh, uh, the actual, the, the, he wanted to have them, um, he wanted to have the act of violence actually being shown upon her. And you actually see her face look like Venetian blinds, but mm. the actress wouldn't have it. Yeah. So, uh, which works better in my yeah, opinion. Like, I, I agree. I, it's, it's, yeah. It's easy. It's better for me to imagine it than to actually see it. Yeah. Especially from a movie it. from the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. You get that. There's that scene where we're, where we're being shown that woman being whipped by the sadist boss guy. And I was just like, Oh yeah, here it is. This is the very beginning of where uh, Japanese film would kind of go <laughs> yeah. uh, into the next decade. Uh, but it's pretty tame uh, uh, being a kind of late 60s yeah, movie. Yeah, I was instead. actually really shocked at how like tame the nudity and violence was across the board because I like they have... I guess the the opportunity to do a lot of like gun violence earlier on in the movie, but no, but it's always just people pointing guns at each other, mm-hmm. um, and and then nothing really happening aside from a couple punches. Uh, and like I think the torture scene is the first like serious violence we see, and even the gunfights aren't like super bloody or anything. I was expecting a little more exploitation. Yeah, no, it's just people running around and gunshots going off kind of uh. <laughs> i don't i think i might have i'm trying to remember if this was part of one of the interviews or if i read it somewhere else about a different movie but i think suzuki mentioned that he wanted this movie to have wider appeal hmm. uh so the you know cut to, he cut back a little bit on the violence and the nudity for that purpose Anytime I've read interviews with him, he's like pretty much like takes the stance that he was like, I make entertaining movies. These are movies that Mm -hmm. are made to entertain people. Um, The studio just didn't like them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and um, and because he would take too long to make them or because he would demand one thing or another or they were just seemed weird. And, you know, and the studios were the ones who were like, you know, uh, giving him smaller and smaller budgets and giving him kind of more and more restrictions. Uh, and then eventually we're just kind of like, okay, that's it. We're cutting you loose. Um, so they probably would have been happy for him to like add in more nudity and, and more <laughs> violence and stuff. Um, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Even by his own admission, I remember reading an interview from a few years ago, uh, where he admitted that he said, uh, he never progressed past the age of 20. <laughs> like artistically like like so to him like you know gunfights and nudity and violence is like pretty much all he really cares about and obviously like aesthetics mm-hmm. uh but that's interesting when you consider that he was like 40 by the time he made this movie and it does kind of play like a movie made by like a 25 year old boy <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um favorite parts of the film um David, if you had to choose like one favorite part, it could be a scene or, or a specific element that you want to talk about. What would you like to highlight? Uh, it, it for me it would definitely be the like very beginning of the movie, which uh, has been talked about with the like the the black and white with the, the flowers and the mystery of this murder. And then that smash cut into colors into mm-hmm. Joe just kicking. I cannot stress enough how uh jarring it is just to see some like to be introduced to a character you don't see their face at all you see them in a wide angle just beating the living hell out of somebody uh so for me it is that first like five minute stretch of the movie yeah that that first like cut to the big fight in the street is pretty wild because you're also or at least i was i was like my eyes were kind of darting around being like okay who am i supposed to be paying attention to what, what's going on here and it, it's it's pretty disorienting you know uh, and I think purposely so. Um, so, uh, V, what would you say your favorite part was? Uh, honestly, the cabaret scene, um, the, mm-hmm. the transition to where you see the Yakuza hanging out on the other side of the, uh, the mirror, just because like that whole set is so cool. Uh, that is that the set also reminded me of James Bond. Um, but yeah, the way, the way that shot, I especially love when like the, the tracking shot where it's watching him like go be pulled across the, the floor to the desk and everything. Just the, the framing is so fascinating. And then the, uh, when the lights go down and it turns into the like cabaret dance, uh, really reminded me of like really elaborate, uh, 
like live stage uh, mm-hmm. staging mm-hmm. and like just thinking about how elaborate that set was to kind of get that look and have that just go straight blackout for the top portion is just all incredibly impressive. Yeah, you know, something that I haven't talked about because I was considering talking about this uh, cabaret nightclub uh, scene as well for this part. But a thing that I think is really cool, we've been talking about how he plays uh, with visuals. Suzuki also is playing with sound a lot in this um, because it's a soundproof scene oh, or, yeah. uh, room. Mm, yeah. And so you see it's so raucous and so loud in the nightclub and then it cuts to the office and it's completely silent and it's like so weird at first. Um, and then I like that when they bring in Joe, uh, the lady likes flips a switch to pipe in the music. So you still at least get a little bit of the music, but for a while you, you keep kind of seeing, uh, what's going on in the nightclub, uh, completely mute, uh, which I think was cool. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. a cool, a cool thing. Uh, off topic, one of my coworkers was talking about her, not well, oh, sort of on topic. One of my coworkers was talking about her, her kid and how, uh, you know, she's just starting to come off of PBS shows and into, uh, you know, other things. And that music cues really uh, freak her out because she has the, uh, the question like, can the characters hear the music? And mm. that's not something I ever thought about. Uh <laughs> And uh, in this case, yeah, they can. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Alex, what would you say your favorite part is? This took a lot of thought because as much as I love that car chase, how funny it is. Yeah. Um, like that whole thing is really good. But I didn't think I would. I keep coming back to it. The scene where Joe is pushed up against the mirror, uh, against the one way mirror. Yeah. Uh, like up against the glass such a cool shot where they torture him like with the finger like they they shove the knife in his fingernail and to me that's like one of my most like i I don't want to watch this type (laughs) things but then after that like when he's like yeah i was a cop so what and he's like he's walking around he's like trying to walk the pain off like that's real as hell like have you ever just like, I don't know, stubbed your toe or something like that? And you're just going to, oh, just the way you're walking around trying yeah. to forget about it. And you're just, you're mad and <laughs> kind like, of flicking your hand being like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like just, uh, I thought that was really good acting <laughs> coupled, coupled with one of the coolest shots in the movie. Like I, I, I really love that whole, that whole bit and, um, and how Minami, uh, is like, I'm not going to shoot Joe. I love that guy. Yeah. Like that, that, and, oh man, when he, when they, uh, during that scene, when he said, right when Minami says that the camera sort of pans over past Joe and to the boss. And that's such a cool camera move. It's, it's, it's like that. It's like a dolly shot, like a Wes Anderson-y mm-hmm. type thing where, uh, okay, well now we move over to this side of the room and, uh, I don't know. I, I'm a sucker for, for that kind of, uh, camera movement. Um, but that, that whole scene, I really like, it really spoke to me and really like made me think, man, uh, she should as a damn good actor. Cause like, it's, it's hard to, I don't know, like that, the way he's walking trying to walk off that pain that really, I don't know, that just screams to me, Hey, this guy's got it. Yeah. I don't know. I know it's a weird, a weird thing to focus on, but that's, that's what I did. (laughs) Well, if it stands out to you, that's, means he's communicating something. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, we've covered a lot of the stuff that I was considering talking about. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about, um, you, you just mentioned Minami. Uh, I like that guy a lot, his kind of like lackey guy. Um, and I really love, uh, when we first meet him and, um, he does this sort of like gun, switcheroo thing with with joe where they're both pointing guns at each other and they're like okay we'll both put down our guns you know at the count of three (laughs) or whatever and then they do and then they both secretly like point other guns at each other (laughs) and uh and it like that's when they fall in love you know (laughs) it's a it's a nice little meet cute (laughs) yeah yeah I love that scene. Um, that um that scene reminded me of getting any like that. I was I was sort of hoping that there would be a scene where somebody would like shoot a, uh, <laughs> a coin up in the air and he'd shoot it or something like that. Yeah right. <laughs> um, so shall we dance? Uh, if this were to get an American remake, 
um, how would that would it work and <laughs> what would it look like? Um, you know, I think a lot of, uh, you know, there are examples of like American gangster movies being made from uh, from other movies and uh, like gangster movies from um, China and, and uh, Japan and stuff. But like, I, I don't know. I just don't feel like the story of this is what it really sells it, you know? Um, yes. The thing that it's most well known for is Suzuki directing it and Joe being in it. And I don't see like much worth in remaking this. Yeah. I mean, it's as we've talked about a bunch of times, it's not it's not the plot <laughs> that, yeah. the, that uh, Suzuki movies that make them interesting. So like you could you could very easily just make a movie inspired by uh, Youth of the Beast, or it's just about, you know, an ex-cop double-crossing two rival gangs to find out who killed his mm. best friend. Uh, that in itself is like, you know, that writes itself. But as far as remaking this, that that was tough for me thinking about this. I almost wanted to say you should swing completely away from, like, any sort of, like, Suzuki influence for it. Oh, Yeah. Uh, like I, I, in my when I wrote down notes for this, when you asked me that question, I had said that I think it would be interesting if someone like the Safdie brothers tackled oh, this God. Uh, just because it's a completely different tone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, while also, I mean, they are in themselves like irreverent and, uh, uh, you know, weird in their own completely different way. Yeah. So in, in my estimation, maybe you'd want somebody who is like kind of idiosyncratic and strange and has some experience with making crime movies, but like just remaking this movie would be weird. Cause I feel like it would just play like a farce. If you tried to like translate that to an American sensibility. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I actually was thinking of a lot, this is another Japanese movie, but uh, watching this was, is it Yojimbo where he pits the two yes. uh, gangs against each other? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like if you remade this, you'd be uh, at least people would be like, oh, this is a remake of Yojimbo, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think people would go right to that well. Uh, well, I, I would like to read this straight from the uh, Wikipedia page for this movie. Okay. Uh, John Woo announced in 2012 that he would direct a remake of Youth of the Beast titled Day of the Beast. The film is set to be produced by Wu and, Ter- and Terrence Chang's Lion Rock Productions along with Nikatsu. The film is set in Tokyo where a Westerner becomes entered into a gang war between the Yakuza and Cold War Russian Mafia. <laughs> the film will be written by Rob Frisbee. And then it says, following the box office disappointment of The Crossing, Wu and producer Terrence Chang disbanded Lion Rock Productions. Wow, that sounded like a very bad pitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, not, less of a remake. Great. What I really wish is that, like, that somehow a, an English version of this script landed in somebody's desk in Hollywood in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, because having like a contemporaneous U.S. take on this, I, I still like the core idea of an ex-cop infiltrating two gangs to play them against each other and find out who killed his his partner. Uh, the the obviously in in this version of the film that's less important than the like performances and the way it's shot but i think i like that kernel of an idea for a movie and was thinking about this and like early 1960s you could have like steve mcqueen as the as joe Mm -hmm. and then like robert mitchum and robert wagner as uh dueling crime bosses I want to watch this movie so bad. That sounds so good. I'm ready to watch this like incredible three and a half star movie that you have just that you have just pitched. Love it. So good. Well, um, well, barring that, uh, let's move on to the Takashi Shimura Award for outstanding or scene stealing performance. Um, Alex, uh, who would you like to nominate for this award? Uh, I would like to nominate, um, you know what, let's go with, uh, Aime Asumi who plays Minami. Um, Mm -hmm. he, to me, he stole every scene he was in. Uh, I love his little bromance with, uh, with Joe, uh, his ecstasy at receiving the rifle from him. Like when, (laughs) 
when they're in the, uh, you know, he's, he, he basically, Joe's opening up his rifle case and, you know, he wants to touch all the guns and he's like, no, I take care of these better than I take care of myself. And then he like puts together his rifle and then, you know, he's about to like, you know, just, just uh, shove off forever. He'll be like, oh, whatever, you suck. And then he throws him the rifle and then, you know, he looks like a happy little kid. I loved it. <laughs> I, I, every, I, I, I wanted to see more of him in every single scene he was in. I thought it was great. Awesome. Um, he made me really worried because like it in modern film tropes, like, you know, things are going to go bad with him because he's yeah. the, like kind of dumb hothead. Uh-huh. And you're just like, oh, no, he's going to be the one that makes everything fall apart or have some real messed up end. And things don't go great for him. But he, I, I was impressed that he like stays pretty endearing throughout the film. Yeah, definitely. So who would you uh, nominate for this V? Uh, I would go Akiji Kobayashi just because oh. it like when he first shows up and is like, I didn't realize at first he was the boss because he reads so much like Bond henchmen. <laughs> like he's he's the like yeah. final boss character while his boss is like sitting on a chair behind him. Um, but yeah, just like stroking the cat, throwing knives, just his performance is just so like. <laughs> smarmy and cruel i really loved it i feel like he was he's a combination of bond henchman and bond villain yeah 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 sure. and you know i was actually kind of ex- <clears throat> i was kind of thinking that there might be something like that too because um his henchman is nobuo kaneko who is like always plays these uh mob bosses usually and so i was like okay and they even play it off at first where you think that he's the boss in the nightclub um but then he ends up being just kind of like the number two um and uh so i was kind of like in the back of my mind i was like oh what if they like he was actually pulling the strings or something like that um and but that was not the case (laughs) (laughs) um so uh how about you david i mean I feel like Akaji Kobayashi is the MVP of this mm-hmm. movie uh, for me, uh, but just to be uh, <laughs> difficult, <laughs> by difficult, uh, uh, the the person who steals the scene uh, steals a, a scene in this movie. The MVP is that cat just oh, <laughs> yeah. kissing uh. Akaji's face <laughs> uh, in that one scene. Uh, I, I truly, I, I truly feel feel that way. But it, it really is Akaji. Kobayashi. As much as I love Joe and I think he's great in this movie and I sing his praises for the subtlety uh, he does in this movie, it is one of those things where like, because the plot is so generic and so bland and he's not playing that like, coolly charming persona that's a little more interesting to watch, uh, I think he someone could easily be substituted into his role and would perform the same uh, you know, the same function. So, yeah. 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 Akaji's just so cool, so calm, like him just like very coolly when uh, Joe was just like, uh, you know, what can I do to make this up for you? He's like, I can take your finger. And he just sits there and he barely reacts to it. Like, great scene. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's <clears throat> there's no denying that this is like that Joe Shishido is a huge presence uh, and is, you know, when you think back about this movie, you're going to say, oh, yeah, that awesome Joe Shishido movie. Not necessarily that awesome uh, Akaji <laughs> Kobayashi or Amy Asumi uh, movie, but like. I do feel like these kind of smaller parts do really, really stand out. Um, and I'm going to put us at a stalemate because actually I chose Aime, uh Aesumi <laughs> as well uh, for Minami because uh, I just, yeah, I totally love that guy. He was kind of the heart of the movie for me in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was similar to V. I was, I was worried about this guy's fate. You know, I was ready for him to... Uh, have a (laughs) meaning, you know, a crying death scene uh, as he sacrifices himself for Joe or whatever. But like uh, he just, uh, yeah, he's a real fun guy to follow and he's, you know, real dumb and and is, uh, you know, obviously comedy relief, but um, it it worked really well uh, in this movie. And I feel like he and Joe played off of each other really well. They were a good duo. So, uh, the guy who plays Onodera, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, Shin Kinza. Uh, so Onodera's um, hideout, this isn't 
this is just something I wanted to bring up earlier. His hideout has like the old movies playing on the mm-hmm. background. I want to know what those old movies were. Yeah. Like, I want to know yeah. the trivia for that. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I would assume that that's it's probably a Nikatsu in joke. That's what my assumption is that's probably another Nikatsu film mm-hmm. that's coming out soon or has come out and was a hit or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely would be a Nikatsu movie that they had access to. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I could see it either way of it just sort of being like, pull any movie from the shelf and put it on. Or if it was like, you know, audiences know that this is that classic boat chase scene from, you know, <laughs> Boatman or whatever. Yeah, I, I, I have and like, not just like pull this movie, but did he like go specifically look for those scenes? Was he like, I want a woman's giant face to be looming in the background of this shot? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just so funny because it'd be like A24. It'd be like watching Lady Bird and then in the background, one of the characters has moonlight on. Like it just, <laughs> it'd just be a little distracting. I mean, yeah. it's just a cool, it's a cool idea for a lair. It's just yes. a, like a hipster bar that only plays Charlie Chaplin movies or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it's good because like it's it was Nikatsu almost being like, yeah, our, we know our movies are seedy. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that's playing in an establishment that you might not find the best characters at. <laughs> you know. um, awesome. So um, any any closing thoughts or, or did we, was there anything that we haven't covered that anybody really wanted to get in before we wrap up? I just like the destruction of the last set in the movie. Just yeah. the, the the entire like full out battle between and just like how run down and like apocalyptic the set is as he's like, you know, shooting someone's finger off to get information about who killed his partner. I thought the set design on that was top notch. Yeah. And they do a good job of kind of like visiting that, especially that staircase over and over again. So you like really know it and know it as a sort of like, uh, you know, fancy place. <laughs> yes. And then you see it get totally wrecked, uh, which is awesome. Uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit about the car shootout uh, sure. right before that, where it's just like, I don't, it reminded me of like video games in the dumbest way. Like it's something that would happen in like an MMO with car combat where a bunch of people just showed up in all of their like goofy looking cars and were shooting out of stuff. It just looks so like, this is not how anything would actually happen, uh, but it just looks so fun. Yeah. Which is weird to say about yeah. a, a gang shootout. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. I, I, any of the sort of car antics, uh, like with the dynamite and stuff, um, and the whole thing with like Joe getting out of the car and, and, and honking the horn in that one scene and stuff. And it, there was a lot of kind of like, I think antics is a good uh way to put mm. in for for what was going on with the cars and and they're those great like boxy little like squished 60s japanese cars uh that are also <laughs> um that i really love cramming a bunch of gangsters in up to their knees and stuff but um all right cool yeah this was really fun um Ooh, uh, it, one, one other thing that oh, I, I this is like literally the first thing i put in my notes there's an abashiri name drop uh and i oh I, yeah i popped a little bit for that yeah abashiri prison um and yeah just uh i think yeah i think that's just safe to say that that's the alcatraz of japan it's the Mm -hmm. most famous prison because they surely would not be uh, advertising uh toei's uh flagship (laughs) film (laughs) franchise but (laughs) um but yeah yeah that's cool um i i i took note of that as well uh thanks for pointing that out yep Um, yeah, this is awesome. And, uh, thanks for coming on, David. Um, Of course. Uh, I've, you know, I've been a, uh, I would call a very like low key casual fan of this podcast since, uh, since you introduced it to me, Joey, and it's been an honor to be on. And I, you know, I can't wait to see what else you guys got cooking up for the future. I, I look forward to hearing what else is on the horizon. Yeah, well, on that note, Alex, what are we going to be talking about next episode? Uh, Next episode, we're going to dip back into Takashi Miike uh, with uh, one of his more recent uh, movies. And I guess recent is, I don't know, it's the last 10 years. That's sort of recent. More recent. (laughs) Yeah, more recent movies. Uh, 13 Assassins. Uh, I I remember this being a lot of fun when I watched it and uh, not so so Miike, so to speak. Um, And uh, I really look forward to uh, revisiting it with y'all. I 
remember not to interject but i remember seeing this movie at midnight the the night it came out and getting into a screaming match with a friend about whether this was better or worse than seven samurai so (laughs) (laughs) back in my more youthful opinionated days (laughs) that's great so i you guys can do the better or worse than seven samurai tests (laughs) okay yeah uh i'll have to get your take on that um maybe up here that's awesome um cool yeah i'm looking forward to i've seen that uh once but it was a long time ago and i uh would like to revisit it um so david um where can people follow you or find your work online uh, you can listen to the A Place for Film podcast on iTunes. Uh, click on the red art icon, not the blue one. That's like a dead feed. Um, mm. You can find my writing on A Place for Film blog, uh, where I've been doing physical media reviews for the last couple of months. I actually have one that's going to publish on uh, this Friday. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Samurai Flicks, uh, and you can follow me on Letterboxd and Instagram at robert dolphy r-o-b-e-r-t-d-o-l-p-h-y nice and v how about you uh first i want to thank uh david again for coming on it's a lot of fun um you can find me on twitter at friskachat v-r-i-s-k-a-c-h-a-t and uh i don't got much going on right now learn how to play guitar that's fun yeah, that's cool. Been, <laughs> that's very cool. I've been <laughs> seeing you post about that and thinking that that was a cool thing, uh, endeavor. Uh, Alex, how about you? Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at dude exclamation. That's all one word. Uh, you can listen to me every week on the One Piece podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to the One Piece podcast Patreon and get access to another podcast that I do with um, uh, fellow co-host Steve Yurko. Where uh, we are, uh, as the title says, forced to watch four kids. We are going through the four kids episodes of One Piece. uh, And boy, is it a thing that we're doing. (laughs) Um, uh, Please subscribe to that. Also, check out Super Art Fight um, on Twitch. Um, I was in this past season a couple times. And uh, uh, who knows? I might be on next season starting at the end of January. So twitch.tv slash super art fights for some live art shenanigans. And you can find me at Joey Weiser on Twitter or Joey Weiser Comics on Instagram. Uh, Instagram, I keep things a bit more professional, just posting art uh, and illustrations from I'm a cartoonist. Um, And Twitter is a little bit more all over the place. So if you want to see me talking about uh, movies I'm watching and and cartoons and whatever, as well as posting art, that's a good place to follow me. Um, and please check out my graphic novels, the five book uh, series Merman and uh, Ghost Hog, which is a self-contained graphic novel. But uh, very soon, um, probably might have some more news about this by the time this episode drops. Uh, my next uh, book that's a follow up to Ghost Hog will be coming out over the summer called Dragon Racer. So I think details will be coming pretty soon about that. Um, so please, uh, get ready to pre-order that book. Um, and, um, and as for the podcast, uh, you can follow us, uh, at Twitter or on Twitter at Toho Yaro and email us Toho Yaro at gmail.com. And, uh, please subscribe, rate and review. Uh, and yeah, and just give us any feedback, uh, about any movies you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like us to have on or guests you'd like us to have back. Um, and, um, yeah, and, uh, we love to hear from you and check us out next episode for 13 assassins.